Father God, thank you so much that we have the privilege and the freedom to come in this place today and say your name, and sing your name, lift up your name, praise your name, and exalt because you are the God of the highest. You are the God of our situation today, our circumstance. Lord, we thank you today for freedom, for the lives that have been given so that we could have it. I pray for families today, Father, that are experiencing that loss of that loved one, that empty chair today because of that life given. And Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you've given life and you have pushed away the darkness. You've conquered fear. So today, whatever we may face by fear, whatever we may look dark, Lord, you call us to lean on you and to praise you and to see you through the storm. So Lord, I, I pray today, if there's anyone experiencing that, that we find that in you, that your spirit comfort us, God. Great Lamb of God that you are. Lord, I thank you for um, all of the folks in our church that make ministry happen every week, the sacrifice there. Thank you for that, Lord. Return that to them. For those that may have some things in their hearts today, um, situations, work situations, whatever it might be, uh, relational struggles. I pray we, we come to you, God, because you call us to cast those at your feet, Father, and put literally as you took the sin and you bore the sin of the world on your back, you call us to lay that baggage. You'll carry it. Help us carry it, Father. I thank you for that. Lord, I pray today that we remember your sacrifice. I pray we, today that we have a new appreciation, Father, a new um, understanding, and a new worship for you, God, and what you've done for us and the sacrifice of your son's shed blood and broken body. But today we leave change that we don't just go through the motions. We love you. We praise your name. May you be exalted in this place. May we be moved in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Our worship team do great today. There's our students today helping us out. Amen. First time those students have played together, and I think they did very well. Um, awesome stuff. Thank you, guys. Josh, thank you for leading them in doing that. Now, I don't know about you, like, have you ever run into a situation where maybe you use a word or a phrase over and over, and it just kind of loses its meaning? I mean, we do that, right? I mean, sadly, one of the phrases I think we do that with is, Love ya. Love ya. I think we just kind of flippantly throw it, right? And not, not what's even the meaning behind it as we say it. Of course, the popular one that's happening right now is the whatever we're using all the time. That's losing its effect, right? But we do. That happens. I think of things like this also, you know, where have you ever ran into this where you have an object in your house and you walk by it so many times that you forget that it's there. And one day you're like, I didn't know we had that. I do that with my wife's outfits all the time. Drives her nuts. I'm like, where'd you get the new outfit? I've been wearing this the last three years. 
But it's real easy, right? It's real easy to look at something and forget it or for it to lose its meaning and it, and it kind of loses that. It loses what it's supposed to be about. And I couldn't help it as we finish our series on Jesus this morning, as we've been studying the nature of Jesus, who he is, what he came to do, what, he, what it means to be his follower today, um, then to, to look at something that I think um, we have done that with. And we'll get into that here in just a second. When we talked about this series and, and over the weeks, if you've been here for part, any of it, um, we've, we've covered different aspects of Jesus' ministry. And one of the things we looked at was his young years, as the Bible shows us, when he was younger. And if you remember, we talked about the story of when Jesus was found listening in the temple at the age of 12, and, and uh, you know, Mary and Joseph lost him, in a sense, and they had to go back and find him and get him. And there he was in the temple, and they took him home. But then as we look in Scripture right after that, there's nothing. There's nothing. We don't know what happened for the next 17 years until about the age of 30. And at the age of 30, Jesus came to John the Baptist to be baptized in the wilderness. Now, we're going to read this in just a moment. Some ask questions like, and I get it. Here, John preached this baptism of repentance, John the Baptist. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? Since what? We've talked about this all the series. He had no sin of which to repent. Why would he need to be baptized? Plenty of speculation about that, obviously, as you can go on the wonderful web and read. But it's interesting that what? Even John the Baptist himself, he wanted to, he said, man, it is me who should be baptized by you, Jesus. But Jesus said this, let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, what he was saying was this is the right thing to do. This is the right thing to do in this moment of time. Now again, you know, as we, t- we teach in starting point and in fundamentals of our church, but maybe Jesus baptized to give us an example of obedience. Yes, I believe that. Maybe he was baptized to identify with us as humans. Yes, I believe that. Maybe he was baptized to symbolize his death and resurrection. Yes, I believe that. All of those things. But the bottom line is this, that we do know he was baptized because his baptism fulfilled righteousness in that moment. Now, let's read about this, and not only read the day of the baptism, but then the day after. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 29. You can see it on the Version Bible app as well. And it says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. No one else can claim that. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to, be, to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is 
God's chosen one. And then the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following. They said, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went, and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him, and it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, which, which when translated is Peter. There are a lot of great things here we're going to talk about today. And the first thing that I want you to see is we think about Jesus. Jesus was obviously more than just a simple lamb. <laughs> Jesus was more than a simple lamb. In our gospel, John calls Jesus the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this is not the only time that Jesus is called the lamb of God in Scripture, but it is the first time, and it's the key verse of what we're looking at today. And the one thing that we must realize is that Jesus came to do that is above and beyond everything that we've talked about in this series, everything that he did, everything he did while he was here on earth, more important than the lessons he taught, more important than the miracles he performed. And it is this, he came to take away our sins. More important than any of those things, he came to take away your sins. Now this image, this, this image of the Lamb of God is one of those things that can lose its meaning over time. It's one of those things that we can, oh yeah, he's the Lamb of God. We can sing a song, oh he's the Lion of the Lamb. Lion of Judah. We can go, Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Got it, Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, pay for our sin. Next question. It's important that you stop and look closely at this and make sure we really see what's going on here. Let's start with John the Baptist because here's this wild man in the desert. He's eating locusts and honey. Sounds pretty good. He's wearing a camel skin tunic. And when John the Baptist sees Jesus, what does he shout out? He says, look, here, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but for years, every time I've read that, I've been like, man, that's kind of weird. This just comes out of nowhere, random, right? I mean, picture this. Here's John the Baptist, baptizing people. Jesus walks by, he's like, look, <laughs> the Lamb of God. People are like, what? I gotta be honest. Like, let's, let's, let's be honest. Would you want to be greeted like that walking around? No, why? I mean, what do we do with the word lamb? We think of like, I don't know about you, but I think about cute, cuddly things, right? Think about the stuffed animals in my daughter's room. 
take it a step further. Imagine if you're out running for office and someone shouts out, oh, look, there's our candidate. He is so cute, fuzzy bunny who's going to make everything unicorns and rainbows, right? Lamb. We see this kind of picture. Why does John call Jesus a lamb? The lamb was a significant symbol for the nation of Israel. And here's what a lamb represented. A lamb represented the continual process of God rescuing his people from oppression. For the first century Jew, that statement would have meant a whole lot of things. A couple of them, just real quick. Two images that come to mind. The first is the Passover lamb. See, Passover, this was an ancient Jewish celebration. What did it commemorate? The event that occurred during the days of Egyptian bondage. Where it happened around 1450 B.C. And for 400 years, 400 years, children of Israel have been slaves in Egypt, brutalized, oppressed. We know the story, right, most of us? God sends Moses to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. Pharaoh refuses, resisted, continues to reject God. And what happens? Plague after plague visits upon the land. Finally, what happens next? God told Moses to tell the Israelites to stay home, sacrifice a lamb, smear the lamb's blood on their doorpost, because that night the angel of death would visit every household. Yes, this is in the Bible. If you've never read it, go check it out. The angel of death is going to visit every household in Egypt. And through Moses, the Lord said, look, Exodus 12, 13, first part. The blood will be a sign for you in the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. What happened that night? That night, the households of the people of Israel were spared. Soon after, Pharaoh granted the request to be freed from the bondage of slavery, allowed them to leave Egypt for the promised land. So, when the first century Jew heard John the Baptist say, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that image had to come in their mind. What else? You had the sacrificial lamb of temple ritual. Every morning, every evening, a lamb was sacrificed for the sins of the people. This was commanded in the book of Exodus as well. Look at Exodus 29, 38, 39. This is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. Two lambs a year old offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. The sacrifice was made every day until 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. You see, this Old Testament ritual of sacrifice was never intended to be permanent, praise God. It never was intended to be forever and take literally because we look in Hebrews 10.4, what does it say? It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. This ritual, the sacrifice that they were making It was a picture of what would happen when God sent his son Jesus Christ into the world. The blood of an animal can never take away our sins, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his sacrificial death, the blood had to be spilt at the cross so our sins could be forgiven. Do we understand the weight of that today? Many years later, 
When Israel had become exiled in Babylon, the prophet Isaiah said that God would raise up a servant to deliver the people, and he would be a suffering servant. What's really interesting about this is when you look, you've got to understand that when John would have said this, this sentence, this phrase, he actually spoke the Aramaic language. And when you look at that, the very word for lamb in that language meant both lamb and servant. Essence, John was proclaiming to the nation of Israel, hey, everybody, we know we are under the oppression of Rome and all that's going on with that. We know that God promised to bring another, and guess what? Here he is. Here he is. He was more than just a lamb. And what else do we need to see in this story? Jesus was also more than just following Christ looking at his life, it's more than just living for us. What are you talking about, Russ? Well, we're living in a culture, and this might offend some people today, we're living in a culture today where we can't see sin in ourselves. We're living in a culture where it's either everybody else's fault it's government's fault, it's somebody's fault, it's everybody's fault, and we don't ever want to look in the mirror and see sin in ourselves. Matter of fact, someone running for office recently painted himself into a corner when he said that he never asked God for forgiveness, and he justified it by saying, why do I need to re repent or ask for forgiveness if I'm not making any mistakes? This is the problem that every human being must confront. We are sinners. And I say to you, I am a sinful person. I've done things that I can never make right. There should be consequences for my behavior. There should be restitution for the things that I've done wrong in my life. And that restitution can't be made by me. That restitution can't be in my power. I can't do it. But that's what Jesus' death means to us. Because when he died on the cross, when he died on the cross, every sin in your past, present, and future, it was placed upon Jesus as he hung on that cruel Roman cross, located on a dump on the outskirts of town. And while he hung on the cross, the restitution that you should have had to pay for you, to your heavenly Father for the things that you have done, he paid. The spotless lamb paying the price for a sinful world. The crimson stain left, that crimson stain that sin left upon your soul, washed clean. That's why God said through Isaiah, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Get the weight of that today. Now let's, let's go back to what's happening here with John the Baptist. Look at verse 32. 
And then John gave this testimony. He said, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is God's chosen one. What does that phrase mean, baptize with the Holy Spirit? Well, when you look, the Greek word that is translated baptize, it means to dip, it means to submerge. And you go to ancient Greece, it was used to describe clothes literally being dipped in dye. The same word was also used to describe a person who was so drunk, he was completely out of control as if under the influence of alcohol. What are you talking about? Well, when John says that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit, he's saying Jesus fills us with God's Spirit in such a way that it takes control of our lives. That in a sense, as you've heard me say this before, we are drunk in the Holy Spirit. That it is evidence that you are walking with God. Here's the point. We need more than just forgiveness. We need more than a clean slate and a second chance. We need the power to live right. And I have said it so many times. Why is the power missing in the church? It's because we have seen our salvation is just a ticket. We have seen our salvation as a simple transaction with God Almighty. And it's much more than that. I'll just simply ask you, are you liking your sin? Or are you yielding to the Holy Spirit? The good news here is if we have given our lives to Christ, we surrender our heart to the Lord. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life, and he is our source of power. He gives us the strength to live holy lives. It's why Jesus said you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is the power that God gives, and it's the power that gives us the power to have lasting change. Not just a one-day change, not just a tomorrow change, but a forever change. And as we struggle with things like sin and failure from time to time, if we rely on him in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit, he will respond to our faith with all of his strength, praise God, not ours, and give us the power to live a holy life. Did you get all that wrote down? I got to keep moving. Because it's more than just that. More than just a lamb, more than just living, but it's also this, as I alluded to and gave it away, it's more than a transaction. Look at what happens the next day, beginning of verse 35. John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he says it again, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him, they followed Jesus, turning around. And then Jesus saw them following. And then he asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said, come and you will see. And they went and saw where he was staying so it's the next day, this time, two of John's disciples leave John, and they start following Jesus. And so Jesus turns to them, and he says, what do you want? What are you looking for? And they say, teacher, where are you staying? Interesting response. And he says, come and see. They go spend the day with Jesus. And we see in those next verses that we read earlier, Andrew was so changed that he, it led him to Simon. We have to understand as we read this story, we see what happens here, 
that the author of this gospel, John, this wasn't just trivial information that he was putting here on paper. This is not just the story told. What do you mean? Everything here has meaning. In fact, I believe in this little scene, we see the whole gospel story played out. So when Jesus sees the two Johnites, if you will, follow him, he turns, he looks in both the eyes, and he says, what do you want? This is the real fundamental question that we have to ask ourselves. What do you want? What do you really want? See, when John the Baptist said that Jesus was the Lamb of God, he was touching a very core, core desire in the people's hearts. Why? The people want deliverance. They needed deliverance from pain and suffering. They wanted God to ease their pain. And we see throughout Jesus' life that most people wanted Jesus for what they could get out of him. And today, I don't think it's much different. When we look at Jesus, it's very tempting to see him only as the lamb that was slain for our sins so that we can be saved from the pain and the suffering of what's to come. But there's more at stake. What do you mean? Give you a good good example. In his book called The Great Omission, author Dallas Willard, wonderful author, by the way, he says this about our views of salvation. Lean in, listen to this. He says, The gospel, listen, write this down, the gospel of sin management produces vampire Christians who want Jesus for his blood and little else. What's he saying? Willard is basically saying that we have reduced the gospel to a self-centered gospel. We think only about saving ourselves. And that's it. Jesus looks at the disciples and he looks at you and me. He says, what do you want? What are you looking for? The gospel, what is the gospel? It's good news and it's found in really how the disciples respond here. What do you mean, Russ? They didn't answer him, did they? They actually asked a question. What do they say? They say, teacher, where do you stay? It's very fascinating that they not give him an answer and they follow the question, but then what the question was. Because when you look here in the original language of the word stay, it's very significant because it's the word meno, which means abide, dwell, or remain. In other words, the two disciples approach Jesus with a desire to know where Jesus dwells. That's that's significant. And what does Jesus say? He says, come and see. Come and see. And we're not just talking about going to see the house where he lived, where he abides in his presence. And what did they do? They were transformed because of that. I hope you see the difference. I think too many times in our modern world, the gospel has been reduced to a transaction with God. Sadly, I think for some of us, we have Apple paid, we think, our way to heaven. We have swiped the debit card. 
We have reduced the gospel to this simple exchange of goods. We have a sin need. God pays the price. We cash in. We're done. We pray the prayer of salvation. We jump into the baptismal pool. We jump into maybe even serving in a ministry for a little bit. And we say, thanks, God. It was a pleasure doing business with you. Can I just tell you that's like showing up at a wedding ceremony, meeting your bride, saying I do, then leaving? Are you legally married? Yes. Do you have a marriage? No. The gospel is so much more than that. And Jesus says, he invites us into a relationship with him. He says, come and see. His desire for us is to have a relationship that is dynamic. It is vital. It is one that transforms us from the inside out. And I simply say, are you living that way? Have you seen your step of salvation in Christ? Maybe it was not too long ago. Maybe it was years ago. But it was a, it's a, it was a transaction. And for you, it's kind of lost some depth and some meaning. My prayer today is that you find that again. I want to end on some good news. Because while we struggle with those things, as we kind of see the end of the story played out, when we know Lord, the Lord Jesus and we know Christ, what does he do? He gives us more than a name. He gives us more than a name. It was a few years ago, one day my wife and my kids and I visited this little place in Lafayette, Indiana called Pet Savers. And Pet Savers was a no-kill rescue shelter for dogs. And we go in there, and we see this little Yorkie that my kids just absolutely fell in love with. And, of course, before you know it, we got him out of the cage, and we're walking him outside. And it's that moment as a father where you know as the, the dog comes out of the cage and you're going out the door, there is no turning back. And so as we go out, the name on the, the, on the kennel door there was Max. And you've got this little Yorkie, and, and while well, Max is a very cute name, it just it didn't fit, right? It just didn't fit. And we're talking, and, and oh, we want him, we want him, we got to take him home. You know, all that stuff, we went through that. We finally got to that decision, and we're doing it, and it's happening. And, and the bottom line is we quickly realized we didn't, all like, we didn't like that name, right? We didn't like it. It didn't fit him. And so here was this little dog that now we were coming up with a new name, and the new name was Knox. It had nothing to do with Knoxville or Tennessee or the Vols or none of that. But we can't, Knox, what a cool name, right? It just fit him. As I thought about that, here was this dog, gets this new name. He not only went from that, but he went from being rejected to being loved. He went from homeless to having a new home. He went from sleeping alone in a kennel to now sleeping at the foot of our bed every night. But this little dog had a new name and a new life. 
And when I think about that picture for you and I, this is exactly what Jesus does. He gives his followers a new name and a new life. Look at what happened in verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus, Andrew bringing his brother Simon. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon now, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. It's a great story because before he even, before he met Jesus, he was who? He was just Simon. He was this fisherman. But after he met Jesus, he became Peter, the rock. Before he was a businessman, after he became a world changer, Peter went from being impulsive, hot-headed, prejudiced, to being a strong, dynamic, spiritual leader. The transformation, it didn't take place overnight. You see Peter's mistakes all throughout the scriptures. But the important thing is the transformation did take place. And Peter became a new man. I think it's interesting what? Jesus gave him a new name long before Peter did anything to deserve it. He gave him that new name before he did anything to deserve it. And I don't know by what name you've called yourself. <laughs> but God has given you a new name. You may call yourself sinner, failure, loser, whatever, but God has given you a new name. If you are in Christ, he has given you a new name, and he knows what your potential is. He knows what you can live up to. His expectation for you is not foolish. It's not unrealistic. He knows what you can be. He has the power to help you to become it. I am so afraid in the church today we are living in our problems. Now, don't mishear me. I have compassion so much for problems and the stuff we struggle with. But at the same time, we are so living in them that we don't live like we have a new name. We don't live like we have a new purpose. So the very God of the universe that is holy and good and merciful and kind, he is the same even when we don't deserve it. He wants so much for you to be at peace with him, at peace with yourself, at peace with your past, at peace with others, that he sent his son to do the unmanageable, to make restitution for all the things that you have done or will ever do. We have this familiar icon Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What do you see when you look at him? When you think of that picture, what do you see? Do you just see blood that saves you from sin? Or do you see that God that invites you into something much deeper and stronger? He delivers us from our own selfishness, promises to transform us from the inside out and show us what real life is all about. But you have to answer the question, what do you want? What do you really want? Do you want to continue to live in the bondage of sin or your problems? Or do you really want the life that God has for you and to live up to the potential of that new name that you are in Christ? I'm going to ask us to bow our heads and this morning, obviously, I think it's important before we come to the Lord's table that we always take inventory and respond to what God is showing us today as we've heard his word, as we've heard 
spiritual truth shared with us. That we don't just go to the motions of running to the table and, and, and taking up the bread and the cup. We truly lean into this picture of what he is as the Lamb of God for our lives. And so as we think about that before we come, I, I just want to say, maybe today you're there that you would say that I know what it's like to come to the end of myself. I know what it's like to be burdened by sin. I know what it's like to owe a debt I cannot pay. And I just want you to know today your debt can be paid in full. Matter of fact, it already has been. You just need to receive it. What does that mean? Come give your life to him today. I'm going to be down front. It's, there's going to be a lot of things going on. But man, if that is you, if, if I'm speaking directly to you today, I want you to come find me and I want, I want us to talk. I want us to pray together. Because the Lamb of God that takes away your sin is more important than anything else today that's happening up here. Maybe you're here today and you are someone that needs to confess sin. Maybe you're that person and I hinted at that, yeah, you know what, I'm loving my sin right now and it's not good. I, I love what's happening. I love some of these things in my life that, man, I am struggling to give it away, give it up. It's not too late. It might be too late one day. It's not too late right now. Maybe today your relationship with God needs to be more than just a transaction. And you need to address that today. Your life's got bigger purposes and bigger plans if you'll live in that power of that name. Are you living like you have that new name? However God's asking you to respond or is calling you to respond today, do that. At your seat, at this altar. We're also going to have prayer time happening. We have some folks that, that if you'd like to pray about something specifically, we'll have them there. And Stephanie Holstein is also going to be going uh, to serve in the Peace Corps. Um, I would like a couple of people just to pray with her um, for her safety and for her mission that God has called her to there. And then as you're ready, the deacons will be here to serve the Lord's Supper to you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, He is your Lord and your Savior. You come. And as you take of the bread and as you take of the cup, you remember the very shed blood very crimson stain of sin washed away that his blood and his body had to be broken and spilled so that it could be washed away from your heart and your life remember that as you come and you take today it's more than just a transaction father i thank you for your word and i pray as we come to your table today lord that it will be an act of worship and remembrance that god it will change how we're living we love you. We praise your name in this place. We give you all the glory. May we reflect. May we respond. May we pray. May we come. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.